you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, just in the stillness of this moment... Reflecting on the reality of Jesus coming to earth, of God becoming flesh, the themes that we've just sung, the longing inside of all of our hearts. God, I pray that we would all be fully surrendered uh, to you right now, Lord, and that we would allow you to speak to us uh, through your word, and that we would leave here changed and transformed. And God, I pray that the truth of God come to earth and, and a Savior being born, that same truth that was proclaimed 2,000 years ago by myriads of angels in the sky, God, I pray that that truth now as it's being proclaimed and spoken through a mere man, God, I pray that it would have the same life-transforming effect. So God, I pray that you would speak clearly, powerfully uh, to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The meaning of Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? You came to a church this morning, and so you can bet that I have a couple of answers to that question. But I want you to think about how you would answer. What is the meaning of Christmas? To some of you, it's, that's not really an important question. I've got, I've got other things to think about. But how we answer the meaning of Christmas and how we spend December 25th, it is one day out of the year, but how we think about that one day tells us a lot about what we're living for the other 364. If Christmas, like... We see all around our world in malls and stores. If Christmas is just all about gifts and possessions, then it's really just the day that gets in the way of Boxing Day where you can go out and get more. If that's what Christmas is about, then that's what our lives ought to be about. If Christmas is just another chance to party and to have a, have a few drinks with friends, then maybe that's all we're living for the rest of our lives. Or if Christmas for you is it's, it's just another day. Maybe that's what your whole life is like. Just day after day after day. You see, the, the meaning of Christmas is linked to the meaning of life. And where we find our meaning on Christmas Day will show us where we find our meaning in our lives. And at some point during the Christmas holidays or leading up to it, we find ourselves, whether we're sort of circling the parking lot of Bramley City Center or in the middle of an awkward conversation at an extended family gathering, where we just sort of sigh and say, what is the meaning of all of this? We all have those moments this time of year. Similarly, we all have those moments as we think about our lives. Uh, 
The long commute home, crying children, bills to pay, stress, where we just sort of throw up our hands and say, what is the meaning of all of this? What is the meaning of Christmas? What's the meaning of our lives? Well, the ushers are going to be coming up and down the aisle right now. They're going to have copies of the Bible. And uh, I want everyone to make sure that they have a copy uh, with, uh, with them in order to read along. And so um, if you uh, need a Bible, just put your hand up or holler at them. We want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along. And when you get your hands on that Bible... Uh, turn it to the book of Ecclesiastes. You can use the table of contents or I'm going to tell you it's on page 379. I'm mentioning the page number because the little note that you got, the handouts at the beginning, it's got the wrong page reference. So turn to page uh, 379 and find the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 says uh, that this book is it's the words of the preacher. That's how the book begins. A preacher, uh, translated in uh, Greek and Latin, uh, is Ecclesiastes. Sounds like the word Ecclesiastes. That's why, that's, that's why this book is called Ecclesiastes. This is the book of the preacher. It means, a preacher means a person who gathers people together in order to teach them something. And so the book begins with its title. These are the words of the preacher. And then he gives some, some details about himself. The son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And uh, the author is anonymous, but you really start to put two and two together as you study this book. This book was written by a king named Solomon. Uh, He was the son of David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And, uh, and, And as you study the book of Ecclesiastes, it becomes quite clear that it's a safe assumption that Solomon is the one that is writing this anonymous book. And this book is about the meaning of life. He set out to write this book to describe, to define what is the purpose of our existence. Why are we here? And where are we going? What is the meaning and the purpose behind all of this? And he gives us his thesis statement in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now we're reading a 3,000 year old document that was originally written in Hebrew and has been translated into English and we as English speakers hear the word vanity, we think about a, a fixture in our bathroom or we think about someone who spends way too much time in the bathroom with the blow dryer and the makeup and all of that because they're so vain, they're focused on vanity which is sort of the superficial approach to life. But any good English translation would either Uh, have a footnote or something that would explain things. And uh, the Bibles we gave out today talks about how uh, that that word vanity, it's actually the Hebrew word for breath or for mist or vapor. And it, it refers to that which is temporary. It's only there for a moment. And something that is elusive. Something that you can't quite grasp. It's like breath. When he is defining what life is like, he's saying it's like breath. The Hebrew word is havel. And the cool thing about Hebrew is so many of the words actually sound like the thing it's trying to describe. Havel means breath. It sounds like breath. Havel. <gasps> Do you ever have a havel moment at Christmas time? All of the craziness, all of the pressure, all of the expectations. And you're just, just try it with me. It's kind of therapeutic. <gasps> 
That's the meaning of life according to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like breath. It's over before we know it. And it's elusive. We, we can't, we know it's there, but we can't see it. You can't deny that there's breath, that we're breathing. But you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't wrap your hands around it. There's, there seems to be no substance to it. You're longing to know the meaning of life, but you can't quite grasp it. It's Havel. Then he asks in verse 3, What does man gain by all this toil at which he toils under the sun? What's the point of all of this? What is the meaning of life? So today as we just study the first couple of chapters of this Uh, excellent book describing the meaning of life, I've got three questions that I want to ask you. Here's the first one. Is your head spinning? Is, is, Is your head spinning? What he's about to describe in these next couple of verses is just someone's just overwhelmed with everything that's happening in life and seeing the, the, the cyclical nature of life. I'm not talking about the life cycle from a science class. I'm not talking about the circle of life from Elton John and the Lion King. I'm talking about this, this cyclical nature of life. Verse 4, he says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. That right now there's a generation that's living and it seems like we're the most important generation that has ever lived and we're the most important generation that ever will be, but a hundred years before us, no one had ever given thought to us. A hundred years from now, no one will even know any of us or what we were about. Maybe Solomon had spent a lot of time around graveyards and people who were a big deal at one point, but now there's another generation. Life is Havel. It's over before you know it. It's just the cycle of one generation after another. Then he looks to the realm of nature. In verse 5 he says, The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. We spend... uh, Spent a lot of time worrying about things, a lot of sleepless nights. I don't think anyone stayed up all night wondering if the sun would come up. The same sun that rose, the same sun that this earth has been orbiting for who knows how long. This, this same sun is the same sun that shone on Solomon's face is shining on ours. It's the same cycle. Then he says, the, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. You can always count on the wind. This is a weather report you've never heard. Gusty winds from the northwest until Tuesday and then it will never be windy again. It's the same wind, same earth, same sun. This cycle continues to go, and and yet it it never seems satisfied. So he he now begins to look at water in verse 7. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All of the the rain flowing into the rivers, then flowing into the lakes, into the oceans, and the oceans, the lakes, they're never satisfied. So he looks at this cycle and he says in verse 8, all things are full of weariness. 
Man cannot utter it. We can't, it's Havel. We can't quite put it into words. There's something wrong with us. There, there's some, there should be something more. It shouldn't just be generation after generation, sunrise after sunrise, day after day, the same wind, the same. We, but we can't quite express it. We can't quite put it into words. He says, man cannot utter it. And then he says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. We're, we're, it's, it's a, we're looking for it, but we can't seem to find it. Although it's, it feels like it's right in front of us, like the very breath that we breathe. And then he says, nor is the ear filled with hearing. We, we listen to people's explanations for the meaning of the universe and the cosmos and where we've come from. But none of those answers seem to satisfy. Is your head spinning? Are you looking for answers, but you can't seem to find it? You see, some of you are here today, your head's not spinning. That's because life for you is still a straight line. The world is flat. I remember when life for me was a straight line. Eight, nine years old. The only thing, then it was a straight line towards the Christmas holidays. To me, life was over, essentially. I didn't think at all past the Christmas holidays. As soon as September started, I just couldn't wait for snow to come and ice hockey outside and together with family and the presents were a pretty big deal then too. And all I ever thought about was just getting to Christmas holidays. That, and, and life, it, life was just a flat line. It, it, you, you, but listen, you get, you get 10 or 12 Christmases under your belt. You get 20 or 30 Christmases under your belt. You get 60 or 70 Christmases under your belt. And do you ever notice the, the cycle speeds up? It used to seem like it would take forever to get to Christmas. And, and, and now it just it feels like Christmas was like last week. And here we are. Another year has gone by. We all go through this. Oh, well, once I, once I get into high school, straight line. Once I, once I get, my, once I get my, uh, my, my driver's license and I have the freedom that that, that that will bring. Once I get into that college, once I, once I graduate, once I meet that person. But listen, at different times, we all realize, whoa, we're on a curve here. This is a, this is a cycle. And, and, and then we begin to wonder, is there an ultimate destination? I've got my driver's license. I got my diploma, my degree. I, I've I, What is next? What are we heading towards? Or is this just a meaningless cycle that is making our heads spin? We can't quite put it into words. We're looking for it but can't find it. We're listening to people give us answers but they're not satisfying. That's the first question. Is your head spinning? Here's the second one. It's going to be a little more personal. Is your life empty? Is your life empty? And the reason why I'm going to get personal is because Solomon here is going to get personal. He's going to get no more analogies about nature. He's going to actually share a memoir, an autobiographical sketch of his own personal pursuit of meaning. Trying to fill his life with something that would give him meaning. But it resulted in emptiness. These are five roads that Solomon took to try to find meanings. Five journeys that he went on that all ended at a dead end. He begins in verse 12 by reminding us who he is. He says, I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Uh, The first sort of avenue, the journey, the way that Solomon initially tried to find meaning was in his position. And many of us try to find significance, meaning, purpose in our life based on our position. I I can't wait until I get that promotion. 
I'm tired of knocking to go into someone else's office. I want someone to knock to come into my office. And once I have that position, then I will be satisfied. That's the purpose. That's the meaning of my life. Once, I, once I'm able to say that I'm, a, that I'm a mother, once I'm able to have children, once I have that position of having children of my own, then my life will have meaning. Once I achieve that status. Now, would you think that the king was a pretty good position to have? Like, does it get any better than that, than to be the king? And yet that wasn't enough for Solomon. That's where it started for him. Many of us think, well, that's where it would end. But that's where, that's where his quest for meaning began, that he had achieved the highest possible position in his culture, and it wasn't enough for him. So then in verse 13, he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And then he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Here's the second thing Solomon went after was philosophy. He couldn't understand. I'm the king. Why aren't I happy? Maybe, maybe farmers are more happy. Maybe merchants are, are more happy. And, and so I'm going to study everything that's done over the sun. I'm going to discover by philosophy what the meaning of life is. And it, 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 the more he knew, the more unhappy he became. We live uh, in a generation, my generation is the product of, of education is the answer to everything. If we can just teach our children better, if we can just teach them how to live and how to, how to, uh, how to uh, care for the environment and be friendly to one another and have their own self-esteem, my generation is the educated generation. We are the ones who have all of the information at our fingertips, have been so well taught, and yet my generation is the most disillusioned, the most depressed, the most despairing. The more you know tends to be the more unhappy you become philosophy, education is good in and of itself, but there's, it will not get at the meaning of life. Why are we here? And so then Solomon took the road that many of the students downtown at University of Toronto or uptown at York University, many of the students uh, take they study all day and try to find answers in science or in, in the arts, in philosophy. They focus on education and it's so empty. And so they fill their days hitting the books and then they spend their nights hitting the bars. And this is the third place where Solomon look, look, looked. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said to my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Verse 3, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. He pursued pleasure. Philosophy led him nowhere. It made him depressed. It made him unhappy. He just wanted to feel good. And then he just pursued pleasure, a hedonistic lifestyle. Whatever it takes to feel good, I'm going to do it. And that left him empty as well. So then maybe one day after a, a, a hangover and a headache, he had a cup of coffee and decided, you know what, I'm going to do something with my life. In verse 4, he said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. So he moved from pleasure then to productivity. A productivity. I, you know what? Living for the, the party life or trying to be smart and philosophy or just 
sitting on my throne as king. That's, none of that's satisfying. I'm going to build some things. I, I want people to, to look at a, at a palace or at a house and say, Solomon built that. And many of us are, are, are trying, to, trying to build something with our lives, trying to be productive with our lives, devoting ourselves to our work. But the same result came, a sense of emptiness. And then he reflected on his last pursuit in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and of provinces. He went after possessions. Maybe if I just had a little bit more stuff, then I would feel content. Then the emptiness would go away. So he sums up in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. It was all havel. It was all breath. And a striving after the wind And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Then look down at verse 17. He says, so I I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You see, here's what's happening in Solomon's life. And here's why the book of Ecclesiastes is is, uh, sort of an odd book to be reading at Christmas time. Because Solomon is looking at life, but all he can see is life. He used the phrase there at the end of verse 17, under the sun, striving after the wind. All he can see, all that he's referencing is under the sun. But he knows in his mind, he can feel it in his heart, that there is something beyond this life. And that's why he has this sense There's this havel, he can't quite put his finger on it. That this life is short, it's gone before he knows it. There's something more, but he doesn't know what it is because all he can see is what's right in front of him. And then he gives us a clue of why he feels that way in the next chapter. Just look at one verse in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He says, you know what, this cycle should have meaning. It shouldn't cause us to be weary. It should cause us to rejoice that the way the sun rises and the way the sun sets, that's actually beautiful. And the way that the the wind blows and the sound that it makes in the trees, that's a a beautiful thing. That shouldn't cause me to be weary and despair. I should rejoice in that. Why don't I rejoice in that? He goes on, he says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart. You see, Solomon, look at this picture again. Solomon is longing for something beyond this life. He's longing for eternity. That's why he wants to build a palace that people will see after he's gone. That's why he wants to feel something. That's why he pursues pleasure or philosophy. Because he knows that when he reads those philosophers, he feels like they're getting so close to something more. So here's the third question that I want to ask you. Is your heart longing? Is your heart longing? Maybe you're not like Solomon where you've been led to the point where you hate your life. Maybe you're not despairing of the, of the very monotony and futility of everyday life. 
But I got to ask you, is there something in your heart that's just saying, you know what, there, there must be more to this? That's why it's so amazing about what Solomon wrote here. I mean, this was written 3,000 years ago. It might as well be in the New York Times. Searching for purpose, searching for meaning, searching for what the Bible calls eternity. Not just one generation after another, but to be able to live forever, to be able to live for something bigger than yourself. We experience this sometimes. We experience this at a, at a, at a rock concert or at a symphony or, or some sort of moment where the music crescendos, where the rhythm and the melody overlap one another with such beauty that it stirs something in your heart. You get that taste of the eternal. Or at a, at a sporting event where you know you're watching this with thousands of other people in a stadium and thousands more are watching it on television and something great happens to bring about a great victory and you feel this connection. You feel like the whole world is connected and focused and purposed on this one moment. And when you rejoice with all of those other people, it, the, you touch eternity. You get that sense that there is something more. Is your heart longing for that? And this is where the quest for the meaning of life is linked and connected to the meaning of Christmas. Because the meaning of Christmas is about not us reaching for eternity, but eternity reaching down to us. And the book of Ecclesiastes begins with a man who is looking past this life into eternity. He's a son of David, he's a preacher, and he's a king. But Ecclesiastes is not just the only book in the Bible. The Bible is actually made of 66 individual books, but it's ultimately one book with one author. It's God's word that he has written for us. And just as there is one man looking at life longing for eternity, the Bible tells us that there is another man who looks at life from eternity. Solomon was a son of David. This man is called the son of David. Solomon's called a preacher. This man was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Solomon was a king, and this man was king of kings and lord of lords. It's Jesus Christ. And all of the questions that Solomon is asking on this side of eternity, Jesus comes and gives answers from eternity. And this is the meaning of Christmas. And so to review where we've been already, that we are longing for eternity, and yet there is this huge gap, this havel, we can't reach it. Let's go to the, to the next slide. This half circle at the bottom is going to re- represent our life, and eternity is somewhere out there, but we can't grasp it. Our life is so short, we know that there's something more. Our life is like a breath. It's, it's gone before we know it, and it's, it's so temporary, and it's so elusive and we try to touch eternity that's what leads us into seeking after that position or that or that philosophy or that pleasure or those possessions or trying to be so productive we're trying to bring significance to our lives but we can't get there the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes and the rest of the Bible tells us why we can't get there it's because of sin and death 
sin and death. We were meant to live forever. God put eternity into our hearts, but no one has lived forever. It's just one generation after another. A sin simply means to fall short of God's standard, falling short of eternity, falling short of the purpose for which we were created. And Solomon knew about this. And later in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Listen, we all sin in different ways. And sin so often is just taking something that God intended for good, but then we twist it. Uh, To attain a particular position, is there anything inherently sinful or wrong with that? Is Is it immoral or unethical to be a king? To be a CEO of a company? To be a student council president? There's nothing inherently evil about that. But listen, if you trample on other people in order to climb the corporate ladder... That's sin. A philosophy, there's nothing wrong with academic pursuit and trying to stretch your mind and to learn and to grow in that way. But if that leads to an arrogance and belittling other people who disagree with your point of view, then that's sin. Or pleasure, is there, is there anything wrong with enjoying what God has given us? No. But if that pleasure leaves behind us a wake of broken people and the more that you study uh, pleasure seeking and industries in which the ultimate gain is just that hedonistic fleshly pleasure, there is a wake of broken people and the people who are often the most broken are the people who are the most vulnerable which makes the pursuit of pleasure the most dangerous. Or pursuing productivity. Yes, we build up our companies or we build our great buildings while our family falls apart. That's sin. Or the the pursuit of possessions. If we bury ourselves in debt or if we lie or cheat or steal in order to acquire those possessions, that is what the Bible calls sin. Now listen, all of us have been down our own dead-end road. Solomon described five of them. Some of us have only been down one or two of them. Some of us would like to add to the list because you've got about 13 or 14. And Solomon had a certain chronological progression that he's following here. That's not the same for everyone. The one thing that we have in common is that we're all different. The other thing that we have in common is that we're all sinners. And that we've all fallen short. And we all cannot achieve eternity because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The reason why there's death in the world is because there's sin in the world. But the Christmas story tells us something amazing. It tells us that Christ came from eternity and came and lived among us. He was, uh, he was born and laid in an animal feeding trough. And grew up with us. His, his name, the name that we use so often at Christmas time, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The message of Christianity, the message of the whole Bible, is not that we can somehow, by our good deeds, can somehow reach up to God and, and 
have eternity, have eternal life. The message of the Bible is that God has come down to us. And he didn't just come to teach us how to live. He came with a mission. He came to deal with sin and death, the thing that was separating us from eternity. And he came and he stretched out his arms on a wooden cross and suffered and died. And when he died, he paid the penalty, the penalty that all of us deserve for our sin. And the penalty was death. And then he didn't stay dead. He was laid in a tomb and three days later he rose again. He rose again to newness of life so that we could be given eternal life. And rather than reaching up, relying on our own strength, trying to get to eternity, we now can enter into eternity crossing through the cross of Jesus Christ. Is your heart longing for eternity? Is your heart longing for something more? Is your life feeling empty? Is your head spinning? Listen, if your life feels empty, you need to hear what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. Jesus said that in John 10, verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Solomon looked at life and said, life is vanity, it's havel, it's meaningless. Jesus looked at life and said, abundance, eternal life. This is how we defined eternal life in one other place, John chapter 17, verse three. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The message of the Bible is not about a religion. The message of the Bible is about a relationship. And the way to experience eternity, the way to have eternal life, Jesus says, is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So for the Christian, eternity is not just something that you're looking forward to in the future. It's something that you can experience right here and right now. That you can say everything is beautiful in its time. Because you found what your heart is truly longing for. And if you're here today, and, and what's being said and what's being read here, is it, it, it's making sense. It's clicking. You can, you can take that step. You can experience eternity today. By recognizing that your life is meaningless apart from God. By recognizing that you're a sinner. By believing by faith that when Jesus died, he died for you. And committing to following him as as your Lord. As him being master, him being the one who defines meaning and purpose for your life. So I want to invite all of us just to bow our heads and just to be very still in this moment. And if God is speaking to you in that way, if you feel like there is, yes, there is more to this life. And yes, I do, I do believe that Jesus came for me, then I want to invite you to pray with me. And prayer is not just something that's intended for uh, priests or holy people. Prayer is intended Uh, For all of us, it's simply just talking to God. And you can talk to him from your heart just quietly in your minds or you can uh, just murmur or whisper quietly in your breath. But if 
If you want to make that decision today, you can just pray with me in your own, in your own words quietly in your seat. So let's pray. God, I want to live a life that's filled with meaning. God, I confess and I admit and I take responsibility for pursuing meaning in sinful ways. And I've sinned against you. And God, I believe that Jesus paid the penalty that I deserve when he died on the cross. And so I ask for your forgiveness and I thank you that you have offered forgiveness through your son, Jesus. And God, right now, I want to commit to following you with my whole heart, with my heart that longs for eternity. I'm done with living for myself. I want to live for you. And God, I want to pray for uh, the people who just made that decision, God. I pray that you would shower them with your love and with your grace. And that they would experience your acceptance in Christ Jesus just the way that we are. With all of our frailty, all of our fears, all of our sin. Thank you that we can be cleansed and forgiven. And God, for those of us who have made that decision long ago, I pray, God, that you would be stirring something in our hearts. It's so easy, Lord, even for those who know the way and know what life is about. It's so easy for us to detour off and to head into one of those dead-end streets. God, rescue us. Forgive us for those times where we've gone after things on this earth and not gone after you. And so, God, we pray that you would continue to work and speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song right now. A song that has a line that says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This is a song that expresses that longing in our hearts. And if you have that longing, I just want you to... Just meditate on these words. Jameson's just going to sing it out. And then when the band joins him, we're all going to stand and sing it together. O come, O come, Emmanuel. What all of us are longing for deep down is that God would come and be with us, which is what Emmanuel means. God, come and be with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come and bring peace to my life. Come and bring joy into my life. Come, God, and bring meaning to my life. So let's hear this sing over us and then we'll sing it together. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.